Well, good morning, church. How we doing? Want to wish you all a happy new year. I think there were probably about 15 of us in first service. <laughs> no, nah, there were a few more than that. But I think maybe that's a way to tell those who went to bed at 9 o'clock and those who actually stayed up to ring in the new year. As you saw on the video, um, I would also encourage you to uh, check out those faith formation classes that are coming your way in this new year. There are some, some great groups that are launching here next week. This week we are back to the book of Philippians. So if you were with us in the fall, we actually started Philippians chapter 1 and then made our way into Philippians chapter 2. We started that all the way back in early fall. And then we took a few weeks off for our Christmas series on prayer and praying scripture. And this morning we are back to Philippians. And that's the reason that uh, we put together these postcards. You'll see these in your, your bulletin this morning. And really the beauty of the postcard is on the backside where there is a, really a roadmap for our next seven weeks together. And, and really the reason that we do this is so that you can, so for next week for example, uh, we'll be in Philippians chapter 3 verses 12 through 16, so that you can spend time in that scripture so that when we come together on a Sunday morning that we are ready to dive into what God has for us coming out of his word. And I've got to say this about Philippians chapter 3. We are picking up where we left off in the fall. But if I had to pick one place to go for a New Year's conversation, where we instinctively look back over the past year and we evaluate and we look ahead to the new year, we look ahead to 2017, and we ask ourselves, what do I want? What will this new year hold for me? Man, Philippians chapter 3 is a fantastic place to go because it brings us to terms with the question, what do I want? See, so often our New Year's resolutions look like this slide. I've used this slide a few years back, but it's too good to not bring back today. Right, so, so this, this poor guy, he starts out and he wants to lose weight and then more weight and that becomes, wants to lose weight again. And get fit just gets pushed back to next year. And give up alcohol and cigarettes gets dumbed down to just drink less. And it looks like he accomplished resolution four. Stood up to the boss, but now he's looking for a new job. (laughs) Try to be nicer to my wife didn't work out real well. So now it's try to be nicer to my ex-wife. And sort out the junk in the shed has become sort out the junk in life. Personally, I'm not a big fan of New Year's resolutions because so often it is just wishful thinking without any meaningful action plan attached to it. So often in the New Year, we set our sights on some good things, but quickly find ourselves failing in what we had hoped to obtain or not making significant progress, or actually losing ground against those goals. And so what happens is we give up, or we readjust, we dumb down the expectation, or we simply put it off till next year. And while that slide is a funny look at New Year's resolutions, I'd like for us to seriously come to terms with, to wrestle with the question this morning, what do you want? 
So in this new year, in 2017, what do you want? There are a thousand different ways that you can answer that question. But I want us to focus on this morning what I hope is the ultimate thing that you want in your life in 2017. And this is exactly where Paul will take us in Philippians chapter 3. Where Paul writes in verses 10 and 11, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him sharing in his death. So that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I want to know Christ. Right? That is Paul's ultimate goal, to, to gain Christ, to become one with him, to experience a deeper relationship with him, to know him more and more. This is what Paul is after. But you have to know this is not where Paul started. Paul has tried chasing after other goals. Paul has tried pursuing other options only to find that there was no hope, there was no future in those other things. And so Paul traces out his journey for these Philippians and to see that we've got to start at verse one. But before we go there, let me pray for us together. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, and it's a new year. And it's a time when we instinctively look to you, man, what does this new year hold? And honestly, none of us know. But the beautiful thing is, you do. And so may, may, may our hearts cry be in this new year exactly what we're about to see coming out of Philippians chapter 3, that we know you more and more, that you pull us into an active, real, deep relationship with you. That this just wouldn't be a flash of a conversation and we go away, but you would use your word this morning to do what only you can do to change us, to give us a desire for more of you. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So if we dive in, Paul writes, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. So Paul, if you remember where we left off last time, has just told these Philippians that he's going to send Epaphroditus, he's going to send Timothy to them to help them, to encourage them, to point them to Jesus as these Philippians try to figure out what it really looks like for them to follow Christ in their everyday lives. And as Paul is moving on in his letter, he goes back to the place that he always goes back to in the book of Philippians, and he goes back to this idea of joy. And Paul isn't pushing these Philippians to simply think of joy in the term of, of, of think happy thoughts. Right? Paul is not pushing on them a feeling. He's actually pushing on them an action. He's saying, chase hard after your joy. Pursue joy with everything that you have, but know this, that real joy will only be found in Christ Jesus. 
Because joy is a true happiness that is anchored to something far bigger than you, far bigger than your situation, far bigger than your circumstances. Far bigger because real joy will always be anchored to Christ. And that's exactly where Paul takes us in Philippians chapter 3. And he does this by contrasting pursuit of Jesus against where he had personally gone looking for happiness before Christ had found him. And for Paul, he had been chasing after religion. Verse 2. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. So this is the argument that Paul takes up again and again and again in his writings. For Paul, circumcision is an outward act that symbolizes an entire system built on trying to get close to God through one's own efforts. And Paul pushes back against anyone who would say that salvation is anything but all gift. As soon as you start to add, and I'm going to steal a brilliant book title for this, but as soon as you start to add to that equation, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, that's not Christianity. As soon as you add Jesus plus how many times you went to church in 2016, or how much money you gave, or yeah, you went out with one or two of our short-term teams, or you avoided all R-rated movies last year, or the religious family that you grew up in, or the fact that you belong to a certain religious party, or you try to be a good person or a kind person, anytime that you add to that formula, Jesus plus something that you bring to the table, that is not Christianity. Paul also pushes back against those who would say, okay, salvation is all gift, but once you receive the gift, once you get that place at the table, it's on you to keep your place at the table. And we tend to look to the same sort of things to keep our place at the table. Church attendance, number of pages of the Bible that we read last year. Again, avoiding R-rated movies, being that good person. The problem with the list is that it is always changing and it is never enough. What Paul is saying here is that any time that you look to your own effort to your own track record, to your own laundry list of good deeds deeds to obtain or to keep your salvation. You've just eliminated your need for grace because you are looking to your own efforts to secure your relationship with God and looking to your own efforts will never work because you are not that good. That's why we need a savior, a rescuer who comes to be the perfect sacrifice for you and I. You are not that good and your, your sin problem is way too big. But okay, Paul says, if you want to go there, if you want to play the religious game, let's go there. Verse four, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if ever there was one. 
I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. So if we go there, if we want to play the religious card, guess what? Paul has you beat. He's coming out of the right, the right people group. He's got the right background. He's got the right upbringing. He belongs to the, to the, to the right groups. He's gone to the right schools. It's like Paul is the guy who went, to, who went to Christian school and then Bible college, then seminary. He's so bought into, into this stuff that he's able to commit acts of violence in the name of the group and not think twice about it. He's obeyed the rules and he's found that it still wasn't enough. Paul's got the resume. Paul's got the track record of his own accomplishments, his own efforts, but that is nothing. As Paul comes to realize his own efforts, his own accomplishments are nothing in comparison to what Jesus has accomplished for Paul. Paul so poured himself into religion to find his significance, to find a sense of of security, a sense of satisfaction, but none of it was truly knowing Jesus. And it left Paul empty. So I want us to just stop because it is so easy for us to blow by this. I want us to make sure that we are tracking here. So Paul is pouring himself into religion, but that's not the only thing that we pour ourselves into. And so if I ask the question, outside of following Jesus, where, where else do we typically look to find our value? The question's on the slide. Outside of Jesus, where do we look to find significance? Outside of Jesus, where do we look to find a sense of security? Outside of Jesus, where do we look to find a sense of satisfaction? Right, so call these out. Let's make a list. Paul just gave us one. Paul was looking to religion and he said, you know what? Doesn't work. What else do we look to? Money. What else? Job? All right. What else? Stuff. All right, I heard a lot more going on, so there was something over here. Relationships, we'll call that family. And of course, those relationships could be a broader network than just family. What else? What's that? School? Yep. I think I said it on Christmas Eve. One of the things we look to is appearance. I think I said getting ripped. Appearance is probably a nicer way to say that. Anything else? Status. All right, we'll stop with that. I think the question that interests me about this kind of list is why do we look here? 
Why do we look to these kind of things to find that sense of satisfaction or security or significance? They're tangible, right? You can wrap your hands around them. We can program them, right? These things put us in charge, right? We control these kind of things. But are any of these truly lasting? Are any of these 100% guaranteed? Are any of these bomb-proof? Right, if we told stories right now, if we just pick one job, right, a number, of would, a number of us would say, hey, I was at a job and I was throwing myself into that and then I got a pink slip. Or, hey, I was, I, was, I was saving as much money as I could and then this unexpected bill popped up and I had to drain my 401k to pay for that thing. None of these are bomb-proof. None of these are 100% guaranteed. And this is exactly what Paul has come to learn. Paul has come to learn from his own personal experience that Jesus offers so much more than any other option out there can possibly deliver. Here's what Paul has found to be true. Verse 8. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Paul is saying, look, I have been on the treadmill of religion and religious duties. And feel free to add any other kind of treadmill to that list. Paul says, I've been there, I've done that. And ultimately, there is no hope there. There is no future there. Paul is saying, let me tell you where there is future, where there is life, where where there is hope. And that is found in knowing Jesus. And this knowing that Paul is, is driving after here, right? it's not knowing about Jesus, but it's actually knowing him through a real, active, growing relationship. Almost in the same way that you would be in in relationship with your best friend. So this morning, don't let yourself off the hook by saying, listen, I'm here, it's Sunday morning, and I'm hearing about Christ. Or in a few minutes, I'm going to go out and I'm going to sign up for a faith formation class, and I'll learn about Christ. Or I'll jump into a group and we'll talk about Christ. Or I'm going to do this service project, and we've got these really cool t-shirts, and there's a Bible verse there that mentions Christ. Well, all of these things may be good, hearing about, learning about, talking about, wearing the Jesus t-shirt, that's not the same as being in an active, real relationship, deeply knowing Christ. Knowing him is diving into this expanding relationship, a relationship that exposes you more and more to who he is, 
what he's like, what he's done, what he wants, who he is calling you to be. And we should expect that as we grow to know him, that's going to result in our becoming more and more like him, which very well mean, if we're modeling him well, that suffering comes our way. And Paul is able to say, hey, I'm cool with that. If, if suffering comes my way from a locked-on pursuit of Jesus, I'm okay with that. And the reason that Paul can say that is because Paul knows that suffering, like nothing else in your life, has a way of, of peeling back and showing you truly where your dependency, where your trust truly lies. And Paul has already said, I do not want to be dependent upon myself. I do not want to trust in my own efforts. So that, and this is the point of verse 11, so that no matter how Paul's story plays out, whether it plays out in power or it plays out in suffering, Paul wants to really know Christ via a deep, close friendship. And Paul knows that there is a day that is coming, a resurrection day, when all the wrongs will be made right, all the injustice will be dialed back, when Paul's pursuit of Jesus will culminate in this moment where Paul gets to see his Jesus face to face. So here's the thing for us this morning. Paul knows exactly what he wants, and it's simple. Paul wants Christ and Christ alone. Paul wants more and more of Jesus. Paul wants to gain Christ, to become one with him, to to, to know Christ. And Paul is going to keep driving this point in the verses that come, because there are so many places that we could go with this. Like, what does it actually look like for you to know him more in 2017? What needs to change? What might you need to give up? What might you need to embrace? And we'll get there as the next couple of weeks play out. But I don't want us to miss where we're at this morning. I don't want us to blow by that too quickly. And so if we go back to our original question, the question that we started out with this morning ultimately In 2017, what is it that you want? That's not a question that anyone else can answer for you. So what is it? What do you want? It's easy for us to get turned around in this life. It's easy for us to lose sight of what's real. It's easy for us to... to, to lose sight of the big picture of what really matters. Life can get so complicated that it's easy to get lost. I I backpack, which means I throw stuff in a rucksack and off I go. And I try, if, if if I'm doing it right, I try to at least once a month, especially during the warmer months, to sleep outside by a trail or in the woods or up on a mountain under a tent, under a tarp, getting outside for at least one night a month. But every time that I backpack to a new destination, I get lost. So not call, search, and rescue kind of lost, but I'll I'll go through a trail junction and I'll, I'll, I'll hang a right and I get about 100 feet down the trail and I start to get this feeling, man, I probably should have made a left there. That kind of lost. 
But when I get turned around, when I get confused, when I'm, when I'm feeling disoriented, when I'm feeling lost, guess what I do? I pull out my GPS. I've got this brilliant app on my phone that will have a pin on where I am going. It highlights my destination, where I need to be. And my GPS will draw a straight line from wherever I am, wherever that might be, to exactly where I need to go. And that's what Paul is doing for us here in Philippians chapter 3. It's what he's doing for you and I. He is drawing a straight line for you to a destination. He's giving you a GPS lock on the only destination that will satisfy your hungry heart. Yeah, it's easy to get turned around in life. It's easy to lose sight of what is real, what truly matters. It's easy for us to get lost when when life becomes complicated. Paul does not want you to be lost. He doesn't want you to miss a turn. He doesn't want you to get all the way through your life and find out that you are heading in the wrong direction. That's why Paul says, verse 8, Philippians 3, Yes, everything else. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because you get one shot. You get one shot at this thing called life. You get so many years. For some of us, that's longer. For some of us, that's shorter. But you get so many years, and then it is game over. And Paul wants you to know that there is only one thing of infinite value and it is being in a deep and real relationship with Jesus, truly knowing him. Because only in him, and this is our why, only in him do we find the thing that our hearts truly crave. Only in him do we find the thing that our our hearts truly desire. First of all, we get him. Jesus, our Savior, that in our pursuit of Christ, or more accurately, his pursuit of us, we find forgiveness. That if you've put your trust in him, you have to know that that, that he is crazily in love with you. His love is redlined, that needle is buried, that love is maxed out. You've been made right with God, You, you are accepted. You don't have to fear rejection. You don't have to win the approval of others because you can be vulnerable because God's love for you trumps all other loves. You are loved without condition. You are adopted. You are a son, a daughter of the Most High King. There is provision for your each and every need. You are free. You are no longer a slave to sin. Yes, you will still fight it, but sin is not your master. You are never alone. That as you seek to know Jesus more and more, the Holy Spirit has taken up residency in your life. And so this is what Paul is saying. 
He's saying that there is such a crazy, infinite value that comes from knowing Jesus Christ the Lord. For Paul, his goal is Jesus. Knowing him more and more and more, whatever the cost. That's Paul's goal. That's what Paul wants. What's yours? What is it that you want? Let's pray. Father, my prayer for us right now is that that question haunts us. What is it that we want? It is far too easy for us to get distracted. It is far too easy for us to latch on the latest thing, the coolest thing, whatever it is that we think will bring us happiness. But outside of you, ultimately there is no future, there is no hope. And so this morning my prayer for us is that you draw our hearts. That we would know you more and more and more. That we would pour ourselves as individuals and as a church in our pursuit of you, that we grab hold of you because you have grabbed hold of us. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.